Um, if you turn with me, if, if you can, in your Bible to the last chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, there are church Bibles available. Acts of the Apostles in chapter 28. It's a bit of a sad moment for me because this is the final lesson in the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, I always feel a bit sad when I come to the end of a study because I want to go back and do it all again because now I understand the book a little better. But next week we'll begin another st- series from First Peter and we'll continue our studies in the book of Exodus in the, for a little while in the afternoons and then we'll be looking at the Advent season, Christ's incarnation. Now, please turn with me to God's Word. We're going to pick it up in Acts 28, and we'll start reading from verse 17. The Apostle Paul has now made it to Rome, and we've seen how, how that has occupied the Lord's leading so much in the last few chapters of Acts, that Paul would make it to Rome. And following three months on the island of Malta, demonstrations and miracles and signs and mighty works there on the island of Malta. The Apostle Paul has been met along that famous Appian Way, the straight road that led all the way, leads all the way to the city of Rome. It's still there today. And the Apostle Paul has been met by some brothers, probably 30, 40 or more miles from the city, who've come to meet and greet him. And finally in verse 16, It says, when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Before we read the rest of the chapter and get in to what the Lord has, let us look to God in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that we have a copy of your holy word. We thank you for this book in your holy words, the Acts of the Apostles. We pray now, once again, that as we read it, as your holy, inerrant, infallible word, come, Holy Spirit, grant us illumination in our minds, in our hearts, in our affections, and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Hear now God's word, verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, from morning till evening, He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. 
the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his holy inerrant words. The Apostle Paul has now come to Rome at long last in a way that he could never have thought or planned or even desired. The Apostle Paul is now allowed to live by himself with a soldier chained at all times at time, uh, sorry, at all times to him. Probably there were 16 or so soldiers taking it in turns of four-hour watches, something of that nature, over a period of a couple of days, rotate and spend 24-7 chained to the Apostle Paul. We can see from the epistles how Paul would have relished what a captive audience that would have been for him to, to, to preach the gospel. And at the end of the passage, we learn that this will be Paul's condition for two years. The Apostle Paul is there at his own expense. The Apostle Paul rents a house for this purpose. The Apostle Paul has a measure of freedom, albeit freedom with chains, you understand? In Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul writes to Philippi from this very period in his life. And as you read that opening chapter of Philippians, you can hear the clanking of the chains. And then we've got Julius, that soldier who had come with him from Caesarea. He had no doubt reported that Paul was no flight risk, he was no threat. The Apostle Paul was not a violent man, so he was given this minimum security detail. And three days pass, in a short, in a, so it is a short time, three days, in Jewish reckoning, maybe in our own reckoning, less than a day and two nights. You might think the Apostle Paul would need a month off now, after being shipwrecked at sea, after being imprisoned for two years in Caesarea, having spent three months on the island of Malta, and perhaps having walked the journey from when he, where he landed in Italy, all the way up the Appian Way to the city of Rome. But that, of course, would not be the Apostle Paul. And three days pass, and the Apostle Paul calls the delegation of the leaders of the Jews. Now, two things to which we have no answer, to which Luke does not give us any help. There's, there is no mention of the church in Rome, first of all. Where, where are the brothers? They came to meet him, to be sure, along the way. But that is all we know. This is all we know of the brothers in the city of Rome. Three years earlier, Paul had written the wonderful epistle to the Romans. Where would we be without the book to the Romans? But Luke does not mention the church in Rome at all. We know from Paul's pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, that Onesiphorus found it difficult to find the Apostle Paul. He's probably thinking of a different period in Paul's life. 
probably after his release from house arrest, which presumably takes place at the end of verse 31. Paul engages in further missionary endeavours. We don't know the detail. Perhaps he went to Spain. It is thought more likely that the Apostle Paul went to Macedonia, visiting the churches in Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth and so on. We know that Paul went to Crete. We know from Titus that Paul left Crete because the Apostle Paul left Titus behind in Crete. And at some point, the Apostle Paul would have been, has, was re-arrested following the fire in Rome in AD 64 under the Nero persecution that broke out. Three, four, maybe five years down the line from where we are now, Paul would be re-arrested. And the Apostle Paul would be taken to the Muratorian prison in Rome, which would be a difficult prison to find. And from there would be taken out and along the Appian Way, and according to tradition, he was beheaded. It is understandable, perhaps, that the church, even at this stage, was aware of the growing tensions of outwardly confessing to be Christian in the city of Rome. And maybe we feel that same pressure from time to time, the tension of outwardly confessing to be a Christian. Maybe that's why Paul can say in a poignant moment, in a tragic moment, in 2 Timothy 4, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. It's tremendously sobering that at the end of Paul's life, the Apostle Paul, the end of his life, he was abandoned almost by everyone, except for Onesiphorus there in the city of Rome. It's a sad, tragic end for the Apostle Paul. But Luke does not end there. What of Paul's, secondly, what of Paul's defense before Caesar? What, what came of that? What, what came of his defense before Caesar? Because the Apostle Paul is here because he had appealed to Nero. The Apostle Paul was going to make his case before the Caesar. Or it would have been before one of Caesar's delegates because Nero did not hear these cases himself personally. The appeal was to Caesar. It would have been heard by a lower official. Luke doesn't tell us, because as we shall see in a moment, that isn't where, Paul, where Luke wants us to focus. Three days pass and Paul calls this Jewish delegation. There was a big Jewish population in Rome. Some say there was 50,000 in Jews of Rome at this time. And they lived in a certain section of the city, Trastevere in Rome. They were blue-collar Jews, somewhat unusual in this period of history. They were socially regarded by other Jews as on the bottom of the social ladder. This may explain why there's no pursuit by the Jews in Jerusalem of Paul's case. The Jews in Jerusalem had not even had letters from Judea about Paul. The merchants who had been coming back and forth into the city of Rome haven't spoken ill of the Apostle Paul. Perhaps the Jews realized that they had a very weak case to begin with. Festus, Agrippa, had given their verdict that the Apostle Paul had done nothing wrong. Lawyers in Rome were noted as being expensive then. No change there then. And perhaps these Jews could not afford a trial 
and they dropped it. Apologies to any lawyers. But Paul has appealed to Caesar. And evidently the appeal was a long procrastinated event. We know that this much that it took two years of Paul's life. But I want us to draw attention, as Luke does, to three things in these closing verses in our time together, in our short time together. Number one, Paul's preaching. Luke describes Paul's preaching in verse 33. It's an astonishing and magnificent summary of the Acts of the Apostles. It gets to the heart of what the Acts of the Apostles has, all, has been about. He says that when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. If you think 30 minutes are long, this is all day. No 30-minute sermons there. This was a whole day sermon from the Apostle Paul. From morning to evening, he expounded to them. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have been there. Now, that's a whole lot in one verse, and I think four things come to the surface. And I want to draw attention briefly, looking at Paul's preaching to these four things. The ver number one, the variety of preaching methods used by the Apostle Paul. Just take note of the variety of the preaching, teaching methods that the Apostle Paul employs. Luke employs at least three verbs here. The Apostle Paul testifies, he expounds, and he convinces. I've said it often, but then I don't do anything about it, so I stand convicted. But we should hear more testimonies in the church. Testimonies of what God has done in people's lives. It's tremendously encouraging. But that's what the verb to convince here, some translations say persuade, involves an emotional activity. There's an energy. The Apostle Paul was concerned about his brothers according to the flesh, the Jews. Three years previously, he had written from Corinth his epistle to the Romans. And we know Romans 9, Romans 9 verse 1, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself was accursed, were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul longs, he longs for their conversion. The Apostle Paul endeavors now to persuade his Jewish brethren to embrace the gospel message that has so changed his heart. And there's a lesson there for us. Paul was so transformed that he couldn't rest until others had heard the message that had transformed him. So first of all, the variety of means. Paul testified. He expounded. He persuaded. And then secondly, 
notice the ordinary means that he employs. Paul does not employ miracles. The Apostle Paul does not speak in tongues. The Apostle Paul does not utter a word of prophecy. The Apostle Paul quotes a prophecy, but he does not utter a prophecy. The Apostle Paul does not do what he did on the island of Malta during that three-month period. All the Apostle Paul does is take the Bible. <laughs> Never tire of a preacher who relies on the Bible. We, we live in a world where we think that by gimmicks we can attract people to God. But it's through the Word. It is through the Word that we will draw and attract people to God. The Apostle Paul takes the Bible. The Apostle Paul takes the Old Testament Scriptures, the Bible of the Jews, and all the Apostle Paul does is expound, open up, and comment on, and draw out what God says. Ultimately, of course, the efficient cause of our regeneration is the Holy Spirit. There's nothing kinder or gentler or softer about you if you're saved by grace than anyone else. It's all salvation belongs to the Lord. But the instrumental means that the Spirit employs is the Word of God, the living and the abiding Word of God. And Paul will write about the, the living and the abiding work of God, about the Old Testament Scriptures in 2 Timothy 3. Those famous words, Paul says, all Scripture, not the Scriptures I like, <laughs> but all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. I think we live in an incredibly arrogant day when we think that we know better than God. But if God wrote, if God said, all Scripture is breathed, not some, all Scripture is breathed, all Scripture is the product of the breath of God. It is ordinary means that Paul employs. And thirdly, notice the language that Paul uses in verse 20 that Jesus is the hope of Israel. And what is it that Paul tries to persuade them about as he opens up the Old Testament Scriptures? In Moses and the prophets, the Apostle Paul is trying to persuade them, to convince them about Jesus. That's one of the reasons I love preaching the Old Testament and why in the afternoons we preach through the Old Testament. Because this man, Paul, who had spent two years in prison in Caesarea, He'd almost been killed in a shipwreck at sea, who had spent three months on the island of Malta, is facing incarceration in Rome, and possibly and probably the death sentence. And the only thing on his mind is Jesus. The only thing on his mind is Jesus. This should remind us of something. Luke is kind of playing with us, really, because it should remind us of the way he ended part one of his book. You know, Luke has part, book, book one and book two, Book one is the gospel, the gospel of Luke. How did Luke end his gospel in, verse, in chapter 24 with a statement so similar to this one? When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with the two forlorn disciples. And what does the Lord Jesus do with those two disciples? Luke 24, 
verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Bible, the Old Testament, is about Jesus, is about the Messiah. And out of the Old Testament scriptures, the promises, the prophecy, Jesus draws the gospel plan and the intention of God to save his people through sending a saviour who is Jesus Christ. That is who we proclaim. And that is what Paul is doing. Luke is showing us how like Jesus Paul is. He's not doing the same thing that Jesus did. Not only doing the same thing, but he's pointing to Jesus, the hope of the world. You believe that Jesus is the only hope for the world? Dare I say it? The European Union is not the hope for the world. Boris Johnson is not the hope for the world. But Jesus is the hope. So what do we do when, when, when we feel confused and everything around us seems to be chaotic? We point to Jesus, the hope of the world. And then fourthly, the expression, and it's an unusual expression, the kingdom of God. We're still under that point one, by the way, if you're slightly lost. We're at point one, point four, um, which is the kingdom of God. What was Paul doing? He was preaching the kingdom of God. And that is odd for a couple of reasons. One is that phrase, the kingdom of God, only occurs three times in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul is expounding the Old Testament and it's about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is about Jesus. But the phrase, the kingdom of God, occurs three times in the Old Testament. It does not occur many times in the Acts of the Apostles. It does in Paul's preaching in Ephesus and in, in Paul's preaching in Corinth. But Luke had begun the Acts of the Apostles Right back at chapter 1, verse 3, speaking about the Lord Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke begins the Acts and ends the Acts with the kingdom of God. Because even though the expression the kingdom of God only occurs three times in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is all about the king. It is about the rule and reign of God. It is about God's determinate counsel and foreknowledge to save a people for himself through the, seed, through the gift of the seed of the woman who will crush the head of Satan. That is the message of the Old Testament scriptures. It is about the king. It is about the rule of God. It is about the reign of God. Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of earth, the earth your possession. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It is about the kingdom of God. So first of all, the first point is the preaching. Second is the response. Luke describes not only the preaching of the apostle, but he describes the response to the preaching. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And he tells us that some were convinced or persuaded. He tried to convince or persuade them. And using the same verb, Luke says, and some were convinced by what he said. They believed. They heard the message about Jesus Christ as the only saviour of sinners, the centre and the core of the Old Testament scriptures, and they believed. God the Spirit regenerated them, quickened them. They came to faith and trusted in Jesus. Verse 24, but others disbelieved. And some believed and some disbelieved. And that is always the way, is it not? 
And it's a story throughout the Acts of the Apostles that some believed and some disbelieved. And Paul is here addressing the Jews and he quotes now this word from Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah was in the temple and he saw the glory of God and he cries out, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Their eyes will be blind, their ears will be stopped up, their mouth will not open with praise to God because God is coming in judgment. It is a word of judicial covenantal judgment that Isaiah will preach. In the context, of course, it is a warning of the coming of the Assyrians. It's a warning about the coming of the Babylonians and the captivity and the destruction of Israel and Judah and Samaria and Jerusalem. And God is coming in judgment. And here is the fulfillment of it yet again. Paul sees those who had had the covenants, those who had had the adoptions, those who had had in the flesh Jesus Christ, had rejected them. And he says that he will turn to the Gentiles. The response to Paul's preaching. And then thirdly, this postscript. Paul continues to preach with boldness. A curious way to end the Acts of the Apostles. Nothing about his appeal to Caesar. Nothing about what happened next. Nothing about his release. Nothing about his further missionary journeys. Nothing about his rearrest. Nothing about his death and execution. But a little picture. A little cameo of a man under arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. And what is he doing? He's preaching with boldness. He's preaching with boldness the kingdom of God. The Acts of the Apostles closes with a picture of a man evangelizing with a heart for the lost and a heart for the glory of God and a heart that beats for Jesus Christ. And then there's Acts 29. There's no chapter 29, is there? But are we to be Acts 29? So what is an Acts 29 church? An Acts 29 church is a preaching church. It is a church that preaches with boldness the kingdom of God. If we are to be an Acts 29 church, and I know there are churches called that, I'm not meaning that, I'm just talking from the Bible. It's a worshipping church. If we desire to be an extension of the book of Acts, we must give careful attention to our worship, including our own private adoration and thanksgiving. So we're to be a preaching church, we're to be a worshipping church, we're to be a church that has fellowship, Members of the body are to encourage one another. We're to look after each other's spiritual well-being and we're to pray for one another. 
the Lord will not bless us if we are not united around the gospel. We, Lake Road Chapel, need to be a preaching church, a worshipping church, and a church that encourages one another. We pray for one another. We lift one another up. Because care for the body will give grace to the world. We can't expect to go out from here unless we care for one another. John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So an Acts 29 church is an upward church. It's a worshipping church. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Four Loves, every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. And if you add to that a divine inwardness so that the world begins to believe. It starts in here. Preaching, worshipping, fellowshipping. So such a church is an outward church, evangelistic, mission-minded, that boldly and triumphantly extends the book of Acts in its own day. And in the Greek, the last word is an ad- adverb, and without hindrance. He preaches without hindrance. And I felt that it's like Luke is saying, to be continued. Do you not hate it that when you're watching something on the TV and it says to be continued? I know that doesn't happen very often now, because you can go and find it somewhere else and you can binge watch it. Not a great idea, but do you remember the old days when you had to wait another week? <laughs> when, you, when you had to wait? Or sometimes you had to wait all year to w- find out what happened next. Any Downton Abbey ad, you know, uh, fans out there? You had to wait to find out what happened next. Well, there's a kind of to be continued here. Because there's more for the gospel to conquer. There is more for the gospel to conquer. There are more. There are men, women, boys and girls. There's more for God to gather in. So if Luke had ended the Acts of the Apostles with Paul being executed, you know where our focus would have been? On the Apostle Paul. And Paul would not want that. Paul would not have wanted that. Because the focus, brothers and sisters, is always on the gospel. It's always on the gospel. It's a love for our fellow man because we have a love for the gospel. The focus must be on the purpose of God. The focus must be on God's rule and reign. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. Thy body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever. And it's as, at the end, Luke is saying, pray the Lord's prayer with me, thy kingdom come. And we are focused heavenwards, aren't we, brothers and sisters? We have a hope of glory, upwards to Jesus, to glory, to Lake Road Chapel and beyond, because our brothers and sisters need to be called until all are gathered in. And Jesus shall reign 
Where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run, his kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. It is a beautiful way. It is a beautiful way to end the Acts of the Apostles because Luke is saying there is more than just the death of the Apostle Paul. It is about the glory of God. It's about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is greater than any power or confusion we see around us. It's about the purposes of God, which is sure, yes and amen, in Jesus Christ. Friends, believers' lives are not monuments, <laughs> but a movement. We're not a monument, we're a movement. So, we are the 29th chapter of Acts. Soli Dea Deo Gloria, to God be the glory. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We thank you for this little glimpse that we've seen in the Acts of the Apostles of your almighty purpose and plan. Help us this morning to rejoice in it, to glory in it, that we, that we too may see none but Jesus alone. Come, Lord Jesus, hasten the day when you will come again on the clouds of heaven with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and those who are alive shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be forever with the Lord. But until that time, keep us as pilgrims, marching toward that eternal city which has its foundations and whose builder and maker is God. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.